0: If you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, while you're looking for 2 Timothy, I think most of you know this was rodeo time, fair time here in central Texas. I happened to notice that the uh, the mutton-busting champion, Grace Lauderdale, is uh, with us this morning, which is always a good thing. I don't know if you had a chance to go to the rodeo. We had, we had a special treat this year. There was uh, a family that gave us tickets to the rodeo. And these were tickets in the box, you know, like right there, right next to all the dirt in the arena. I mean, it was awesome. I have been around the rodeo a lot in my life. I have never been that close. I mean, you could see the chutes. You could see those broncs coming out there. You could see the expression on these cowboys as they're strapped to, uh, you know, the living dynamite. You could see the pain in their faces, their eyes, like, when is this over? I mean, it was just all there right up front. In fact... That's one guy is on his bronc. I mean, his horse went
1: crashing
0: into the side, not far from where we're sitting. I'm mean, like, whoa! Even the concrete's shaking. Who in the world would ever want to do this? But anyway, there. I mean, I, we just saw it. It was just right there. I mean, we're taking it all in. And then, not only could you see just the flares of the nostrils of these horses and the guys on the bulls, but to make matters much more interesting, we had this lady and two and her two kids, about age four and two, right behind us. And this lady, it turns out, that she herself had been a professional barrel racer and had been involved in the rodeo for many years. She was married to the guy who was the lead pickup man out there, who himself, he'd been a bronc rider for 17 years. And so this was awesome. We just developed a relationship, or holding her kids, and she told Karina and I all about life in the rodeo what it was really like, life behind the scenes. I mean, we got to find out that they, they traveled in a trailer and they carried their five horses with them. And they, they spent two-thirds of a year traveling from one rodeo to the next rodeo to the next rodeo. When they were doing rodeo, they were up at their place up at Lubbock and, they, and he, they were training horses and shoeing them. And they talked about what it looked like to compete in the rodeo, their focus. Uh, they talked about how long it took to train a a good horse to run barrels It takes about three years, the everyday training with the animals. She talked about all the different people that she knew in the rodeo. I mean, anywhere from the guy, Hadley Barrett, that famous rodeo announcer. I mean, she knew him, family, the guy that was running all the stock. Well, he kept going back, but he kept stopping to say hi to these little girls. I mean, I know he was paying attention to all the animals, but he kept stopping by and hi and shaking these little girls' hands. I mean, it was very interesting to hear about what, the, what it was really like to be involved in the rodeo from an insider's perspective. When you open the book of Second Timothy, what you're getting is the inside perspective on Christian life. If you want to know what it is and what it's all about, then you open up this book and you begin to read. In chapter 1, Paul is giving Timothy the invitation Friend, fellow pastor, I want you to come and be willing to actually suffer with me. Chapter 1, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And in chapter 2, then, he actually tells us and gives us an inside look into what spiritual ministry looks like. And at the heart of spiritual ministry, you are going to find personal discipleship where people are being influenced in their growth and development and their relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let me just give you a very simple definition of discipleship. Discipleship is this. It is an intentional relationship that helps a fellow believer in Christ integrate God's truth with their life. And this can occur at any level. If you are a parent, I really hope that you are a discipler. I really hope that you are involving yourself and your kid's life to a point where you're helping them develop and mature in terms of understanding relationship with Christ and how God's truth integrates with their life. If you're a grandparent, I hope that you're a discipler. You have a significant role in the lives of your grandchildren. If if you are a coach or a teacher, you have influence in people's lives that not many people do. If, if you are just a person, like you've got a fellow teammate or you have a fellow classmate, you can be involved in helping people grow and develop spiritually. And let me tell you one place where discipleship must be taking place. It better be taking place in the church. After all. We are all about those who have been saved by Jesus Christ. He has cleansed us by his very own blood. We've been brought into his family, united with Jesus Christ forever. We have his righteousness now on our account. The chains of sin are gone. If there is any place where people are trying to be involved in each other's life to help them grow and develop in the faith, let me tell you, it better be in the church. And so Paul, after this invitation to Timothy to suffer for the gospel, he invites him Share the passion of what spiritual ministry is all about. If you'd like to sum up Paul's ministry, it could be very simply stated, it was all about the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and building up people in the faith and in their relationship with him. That's really the essence of what he's about. And really the reality is this, friends. As you and I grow in Christ, we can help others mature in life. We can actually break out of the mold where it's just life is all about me and realize that really it's all about God and what he's doing in the world and in the lives of other people, and you can be involved in that process. I know that some of you are. Some of you are thinking about it, and some of you are like, what in the world are you even talking about? Hold on, because we're going to talk about this. Because as we enter into chapter 2, this is like a major crux to this book of Second Timothy. Paul is going to lay out. The life of discipleship, the life of a mentor, a coach, a trainer, a spiritual advisor. And let me just tell you where it begins. It begins chapter two, verse one. This is the mentor's priority, and that is to be strong and to grow strong in the grace of Christ. Look at this, after, after appealing to Timothy to suffer, after giving him examples of people who have bailed, like in chapter 1, verse 15, like Phygelus and Hermogenes, and after giving him a classic example of a guy who has caught the picture and is willing to suffer, on Onesiphorus, in verse 16 and following, he says, verse 1, chapter 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He says, Timothy... Let me tell you where your strength in life is. This is your priority. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To be strong, it literally means to be empowered, to be strengthened inwardly. This is, this is really the heart of Christianity. Some people think that it's about following rules and going through regulations, and Christianity is about what you don't do and what you do do. In actuality, it is an internal reality. It is a relationship with the living God. You believe in Jesus Christ, and he actually spiritually empowers you. There is a spiritual, supernatural dynamic that takes place in the lives of Christians based upon their faith and their unity with Christ. And he says, go back to the basics. Go back to your number one priority You want to be strong in the grace that is in Christ. And it's a present imperative. It means you keep being strong. You keep time and time and time again. You keep going back to Jesus Christ. This is like you eat three meals a day. You just keep coming back to Christ. He is food for your soul. He gives you strength for living. And you see, we think about grace and oftentimes we think, well, yes, it is God's grace that saves us. And that is absolutely true. The reason that you are saved from your sins is not because you created some sort of contract with God or he saw like, boy, this is really someone I want on my team. Absolutely not. It's all of grace. He brought you and saved you by grace. But that same grace is also meant to be our source of strength in life. And somewhere we forgot this. We think like, well, I'm saved by grace, but now it's, it's all up to me for the rest of my life. In actuality, God says, let me be the source of strength in your life. That is why Paul is saying, let this be your priority. Let it be grace. Chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, I love you. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, how do you actually experience God's grace in your life? I mean, what does this look like? What it looks like is that You actually take time to drink from the well of Christ instead of just kind of hopping out of bed and moving on, moving through life on autopilot. You actually seek the face of God. You earnestly desire God's empowerment in your life. You have your mind renewed by truth. You see, when you and I spend time in this book called the Bible, God renews our mind, sets our focus back on Him, gives us His perspective, His peace, reminds us of His greatness, that He's in control. This is all means by which we grow in grace and we can go strong. You are strong in grace when God's grace is prevalent in your life, that you keep coming back to Christ. And let me tell you something else about grace. When he says be strong in grace, not only is it to be the strength of his life, it is to be the manifestation in his ministry. He is to be a graceful, gracious, grace Grace, uh, grace, person to others. He extends God's grace to the people in his life. It all begins with chapter two, verse one. In fact, friends, if you miss this priority and you think, well, I'm just going to try to do all the other things that he says in this book, and you mix chapter two, verse one, you're going to meet with failure. We could charge you up, rev you up, give you a little, uh, little talk, a little motivational talk, and maybe keep you keep you moving for a week or so. But you're going to find out. Ah, This is too difficult. Life is too challenging. I'm not really interested in suffering. I I can't do this. And you're right. You can't. That's why you've got to have the mentor's priority. And what is that? To grow strong in the grace of Christ. Now, some of you will believe me, but most of us have to learn this the hard way. We have to try life on our own and experience all our failures. What Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I'm here in a prison cell, but I'm still ministering and enjoying the greatness of Jesus Christ. Because his heart is strengthening my life, and he does so with grace. Ben, if I said the word Coach John Wooden, I bet a lot of you know who he is. He's, he's very famous. In fact, he is one of two players, that, uh, players and coaches that's in the Basketball Hall of Fame, both as a player and as a coach. He actually led the UCLA Bruins to ten national championships, including seven in a row. This guy... I mean, man, from 1966 to 73, he was just like untouchable. This guy just kept winning and winning and winning when he won those seven championships in a row. Now, let me ask you this. Anybody know what Coach Wooden did when he began his practices with his team? When they, at the beginning of the season, anybody know what he did? I mean, he had a, he always built champions, man. They were always winning championships. So how did he start off the season? This might surprise you. But he had all these all-stars, the top recruits in the nation. He had them all sit down on the floor, and he had them practice putting on their socks. Like, you know, people like Bill Walton, you know. And, and he, has him, he has this guy that's probably size 16 foot. And he, you know what he did? He had them practicing putting on their socks. Now, for some of the guys who are new on the team, like, what in the world? I came here to play basketball, and I'm dressing myself. What's going on here? But the guys that have been around and been on his team knew that Coach was serious. You had to learn how to put your socks on correctly. And let me tell you why. Wooden says, I made my boys do this because I didn't want them having any blisters that would in any way inhibit their play at any point in the game. And so we're going to learn to put our clothes on correctly. And he made those boys get that right on learning how to put their socks on. And you might go, that's pretty interesting. But friends, the same principle is true for us as Christians. You and I. We need to learn to get dressed in the morning. And I'm not talking about your physical clothes. I mean, you guys all look nice and beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about you have to have your heart strengthened by God's grace. Just like you get dressed in the morning, make sure that it is God who is filling your tank and is the strength and the source of your life. That is how we're to function. That is how we live. If you are going to be involved in spiritual ministry, spiritual ministry requires spiritual people. That means you must dwell and enjoy the goodness and the grace of God, bar none. That's the mentor's priority, to grow strong in the grace of Christ. And if this is a new concept for you, or perhaps you've heard it for many years but don't do it, or maybe you just need encouragement to get back on track, you'll find it right there in chapter 2, verse 1. But let me give you also the mentor's purpose Not only is his priority to grow strong in the grace of Christ, his purpose is found in verse 2. It is to see people mature in the faith. Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, this is what you must do. You must be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He must be the source of the strength of your life, and you must, verse 2, and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The things that you've heard from me, Timothy, this must be your bread for life and for ministry. Now, what are these things? Well, this is what he's been talking about. In fact, remember, we emphasized this last week. The things that you've heard from me is the word of God, how God's word and his truth integrates with life. Remember in chapter 1, verse 13? where he says, retain the sta- standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. In fact, he says in verse 14, he says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that has been entrusted to you. What is it that Timothy is supposed to cling to and eventually pass on? You know what it is? It is the sound words of Scripture. And just to review what we talked about last time, standard, you see that word standard? The standard, that is the word tupos. It means a blow. It's like a beat of a horse hoof or like a mark that comes from a seal or a signet ring. It is to mark you. Our lives are to be shaped and marked by God's word. This is God's divine plan. He's revealed himself in his son. He's revealed himself in his creation, and he's revealed himself in his word. And when you come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you are to be marked out as a people that is shaped by God's word. You are to retain the standard as if God's word comes and makes an imprint. In fact, it is the scripture, it is the Bible that God uses like a chisel to start chipping away anything that keeps us or prevents us from looking like Jesus Christ. It is the word that creates and develops holiness in our life as we read it and interact with it in our challenge. We are reminded of who God is, and we, in fact, we learn and grow and mature in his understanding of who he is. And furthermore, he teaches us how to live in life, what it really looks like to walk as a Christian. What does it mean to trust God? How to deal with disappointment, temptation, failure, success, relationships of every stripe It is found here in this word. This book is to mark out, Your life. I don't know what you've heard. I don't know what stories you believe. You want to run everything through the grid of Scripture. And when you do, guess what? God's Word makes its imprint upon your life. It is what kind of words? Verse 13, chapter 1. Sound words. It's where we get our English word hygiene. It is good, healthy, pure. This is the kind of man you're to be. The things you've heard from me, Timothy, let this mark out Your life. And now, when he's heard this, where did Timothy hear the words as Paul spoke them? If you want a a fascinating study on discipleship, look at Paul's relationship with Timothy. Now, Paul had many men that he invested in, but one of his key guys is Timothy. In fact, that is why he's writing to him at the very end of his life. But Timothy had heard Paul on numerous occasions through many years. Teach and speak the word of God and help people understand how it can be integrated in their life. Paul was all about the gospel and building people up. And Timothy had heard it from numerous times. Let me just give you a sampling of some different ways he'd heard it. Paul Paul had Timothy accompany him on two, his second and third missionary journeys. That means that that everywhere that Paul went, he had Timothy. And sometimes he'd send Timothy on or have him do things. But Timothy was always around Paul. And so he heard Paul when he spoke to the women who were gathering outside Philippi at that river. Remember when the gospel first made entrance into Europe? Timothy was there, and he heard the gospel presented. Timothy heard the gospel presented to the Jews in Thessalonica. Remember those Bereans that said, hey, wait. Okay, we heard what you're saying about this Messiah, Jesus Christ, but we are Bereans. We're going to check this out against the Scripture. Timothy saw all that. Timothy was there when Paul was speaking to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers in Athens. He watched Paul and listened to him as he presented the gospel of Christ in the context and the world in which they lived. He was with Paul when he spoke to the Jews and Greeks in Corinth. When he was, you know, remember Paul set up a school in Ephesus, the school of Tyrannus, for over two years. Guess who was there, taking it all in? Timothy was to the believers in Macedonia, to the elders at Ephesus, who was there? It was Timothy. He saw it in all sorts of settings, with the unsaved as Paul presented the gospel, with the newly saved as Paul presented the basics of the truth, with elders as he pointed them and said, friends, this is what Christian ministry looks like. He kept seeing Paul over and over and over using God's word to imprint and impress and shape the lives of the people he ministered to. And Paul is saying, Timothy, these very same words, not only are you to hold on to, but you're to do this. You're to entrust it. You see that in verse 2? The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you see that word, entrust? Key word. It, first of all, it's a command, and it means to deposit something valuable for safekeeping. All of the word, all of the truth the scriptures that not only are being written that you now have in your possession and what you've heard and seen in me, Timothy, I entrust these to you so that you will entrust them to others. You are to do exactly what Paul did. Paul said, I've entrusted my life to Christ. Chapter 1, verse 12. Chapter, 4, chapter 1, verse 14. Look at that. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been what? Who sees it? Entrusted to you. This has been given to you for safe deposit. And this is what you're to do. It's in your life. You are a vessel of honor. You have God's word and God's truth integrated in your life. You've heard it so much that you can preach it. In fact, you're a pastor and do so. You must and trust it and pass it on to the next generation. That is what you are to do. Now, it tells us something about God's word. We are to keep it by giving it away. But we must keep it well. And friends, all of us living in American culture, this book is being jettisoned. It is not being held and entrusted and kept like a treasure. And it's not to be that way. Uh, you ever seen the president of the United States when he's kind of traveling around? Next time you see the president on TV or you're visiting him at, at D.C. for those of you who are personal friends with him, I want you to do this. I want you to notice who's by him. There is always a military aide that is very close to the president of the United States. And that military aide has a black bag, okay? And you might think, like, gee, why is the president, he must be into bowling or something, because every president, he's just always got his bowling bag with him, and he's got a guy carrying it for him. He's a military guy, so he doesn't lose it. But, you know, that, that little black bag has been nicknamed the football. You know what it is, don't you? Inside that black bag are the codes to unleash all the nuclear power that the United States has on anybody that has somehow created a war with us. They don't go in the bag very often, but it is always by the president. And there is a guy, actually there's several, that is their job. They hold and watch and keep that bag. They never like go, oh, we're at the park here, let's just step this baby down here and just kind of walk off. They never do anything like that. They're like, oh, where did I leave it? We were at the mall, is it in the White House? Oh, I can't. I just can't remember. No, it's never like that. That guy has one job. That one job is to hold on to that bag, and he is holding on it for his dear life. And that's his job, not a bad job. You might want to have a job like that, but he is entrusted with that bag. Friends, I don't know if you know this, but you have a black Bible that has been put into your hands. It has been entrusted to your care. You are meant to keep it and to treasure it, but if you are to keep it and entrust it like the Scripture says... You have to be able to open it up and pass it on to others. And that is what Timothy is to do. He is to, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of witnesses, many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The kind of guy or gal that Timothy is supposed to entrust the scriptures to are this. And this is, by the way, this is what you and I We want to be. It's one word. It is faithful. Literally full of faith. We have confidence in God. We believe his word. We are trustworthy, dependable. We can be counted on. We got a track record of consistency. Timothy, you go find faithful people. And that word man, anthropoid could be, really, it's it's people. Men and women, you find them. You go and invest your life in them and you teach them God's word. That is what you are to do. And let me tell you about faithful people. You want to find faithful people and see how they respond to the good things and the good times when things are going well. But you especially want to find out what do they look like when life is hard, when the temptations are there, When the trials have come, what does it look like when the windstorm has come and ripped the shingles off your house and the decking and exposed what is holding that house up? You find out what makes that man or that woman strong. And if it is God and his word, you you want to do is you want to pour into that person and invest in them. You help them grow deep. You find faithful people. Now, this this whole idea of discipleship, it can happen in a large group setting. I actually think that a lot of what we do on Sunday morning is helping people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, integrating truth with their life. But it happens even better in a small group setting. And I think it happens best one-to-one. That is because you can be most personable. For instance, if I were to say, would anybody like to stand up and discuss your marital problems that you're having, or the pride issue that has really surfaced. Is anybody? Maybe, you know, some of you are like, oh, I think I'll let someone else go first. No one wants to do that, right? Do you anyone who stand up? Come on. No, I don't think so. No one wants to do that. You know why? Because this is pretty personable stuff. This is my life. I don't want to put it all out there, but on a one-to-one basis with a friend who loves you and is committed to your growth. They can help you see how Jesus Christ and his word comes into play to help you grow and to mature. You see, what I've received must not remain with me. Let me tell you, this is what discipleship is. It is entrusting the truth of God into the life of other believers. And friends, this is critical for spiritual ministry. I'd like to read to you a little uh, uh, insight on, on discipleship. This is from a book called Discipleship, Great Insights for the Most Experienced Disciple Makers. And it's, there's a man by the name of Leroy Imes, and he tells about visiting a foreign mission field and talking with a veteran missionary. And I want you to listen very closely to what he says. So here we have Leroy, and Leroy is going and he's visiting this veteran missionary. Got the picture? Okay, he writes, he told me, speaking of the missionary, a story that still haunts me. I can't get it out of my mind. He had gone overseas some 15 years before we met and began the usual programs. About the time he arrived on the field, he met a young man named Johnny, who was involved in something quite different. Johnny was a committed disciple of Jesus Christ, but he was going about his ministry in all the wrong ways, according to the quote-unquote book. In contrast to the typical missionary approach, this Johnny was spending the bulk of his time meeting with a few young men in that country. The veteran missionary tried to get Johnny straightened out, but the young man just kept on with his, quote-unquote, different approach. The years passed, and the veteran missionary now had to leave the country of his service due to new visa restrictions. And as he sat across the coffee table from me in his home, he told me this. I want you to listen to this. Hey, Leroy. I've got little to show for my time here. Oh, there is a group of people who meet in our assembly, but I wonder what will happen to them when I leave. They are not disciples. They have been faithful to listening to my sermons, but they do not witness. Few of them know how to lead another person to Christ. They know nothing about discipling others. And now that I am leaving, I can see that I've all but wasted my time here. And then I look at what has come out of Johnny's life. Johnny was the guy, by the way. Remember, he met with just those few group of guys and really poured into him. He says, one of the men he has worked with is now a professor at the university. This man is mightily used of God to reach and train scores of university students. Another is leading a, a witnessing and discipling team of about 40 young men and women. Another is in a nearby city with a group of 35 growing disciples around him. Three have gone to other countries as missionaries and are now leading teams who are multiplying disciples. And God is blessing their work. I see the contrast between my life and Johnny's, and it is tragic. I was so sure I was right. What he was doing seemed so insignificant. But now I look at the results, and they are staggering. Friends, this is what we're all to be involved in. We have to be actively pursuing it, not passively just hoping it's going to happen. Because if it's just a, I sure hope someone's going to do this, you know what? It won't happen. It just won't. It won't happen in Timothy's life, and it certainly won't happen in ours. That is why Paul says, be strong in the grace and the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to uh, teach others also. So let me ask you this. What in the world does discipleship look like in a local church? I mean, honestly, what does it look like in a local church? And I think Howard Hendricks has presented and answered that question about as clearly as anybody that I've ever heard on it. And pastors like Tommy Nelson at Denton Bible Church have picked up on this. And I'd just like to tell you, Howard Hendricks, his response to that question, what does discipleship look like in a local church? Discipleship is important. If you're, just a guy, if you're right now, you're going, well, I don't know if it's so important. It's what Jesus did, right? He had his 12 and he ministered to them. In fact, Remember his final charge to us. You never forgot that, right? Matthew 28. What are we going to do? go there for and what? Anybody remember that? Make disciples. I have a feeling he's going to ask us, so what did you do with what I told you? And this was Paul's life and ministry. In fact, at his deathbed, he's writing to Timothy, I want you to do this. So what in the world does it look like in a local church? Well, let me tell you what Hendricks presents. First thing he says is you have to ask when it's all said and done, with the guy and the gal goes through your church or the couple goes through your church, what do you want them to look like after they've kind of gone through your education program? You know, people sometimes say, hey, tell me about your church. And they'll say, oh, you know, we've got 5,000 people. Okay, but what are they doing? 5,000 what? So you have lots of people coming, but but are they... Are they growing? Are they mature? What, what do they look like? What, you, what is being happening and produced at your church? What is God really doing with the people there? So you have to ask this question. It's not just getting people to have come and sit around and say, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to total line, I'll just sit here. No. You have to figure out what is it that you'd like to have happen in their, in their life. And if you don't know that, then, then you haven't an answered a fundamental question of what a church is about. What, are they, what, in the end, do you want them to look like? And Hendricks says this, Simply this, you want a committed person. You want someone who's committed to God, His Word, and His people. And not only do you want them committed, but you want them competent. You want them to have skills. You want them to know how to study their Bible, how to memorize Bible verses, how to have a quiet time, how to love their spouse and their children, how to walk in the Spirit of God, that they know who God is. In fact, they're in a relationship of grace, and they can actually relate to Him. They know him. He's the strength in their life. They you want to have people that are competent to do this, how to share the gospel that they can make like a simple line diagram that Jeff Lark went through with us this summer where you put, you know, God's love up top and then God's justice on this next line and how because of our sin, we have plunged now into God's justice. But Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for sin. He has satisfied God's holy wrath against against sin. He has fulfilled all justice. And that we who believe in him, the resurrected Christ, we can have forgiveness of life. You want to have your people know a couple key Bible verses, like Romans 6.23 or John 3.16, and be able to share the gospel. So you want someone that's committed. You want them competent. And Hendrick says you also want them creative. You want to have them have the ability that if you were to drop them off onto an island with a bunch of people and a Bible, that they could actually create a spiritual ministry, help people grow, develop, and mature. That is what he says. You want to help people. You want to figure out what you're after, what you're trying to accomplish, and you want to then be focused on that. Now, at Fellowship, we've, uh, we try to emphasize this about what does it mean to be a com- complete in Christ. In fact, this morning, you'll even find this little handout in your this insert here. You saw this this summer when one of our elders, Shane Sanders, went through this. The complete disciple of Christ. These are five areas that we as as a church want to see integrated in your life in these different areas that you are growing and maturing in your relationship with Christ in these five areas. You could break it out in other ways, but we have broken it out in this way. And this simply, these are five categories to grow in. First of all, your walk with God, grace and faith, love and obedience, the word and prayer. The second category is, is your relationships. How are you growing and maturing in your relationship with Christ? And it's being manifested with your family. Your friends. Your community. A third category is your character. Is it Christ-centered? Or what does Christ-centered ministry look like? Your holiness. Fruits of the Spirit. Friends, this is what Paul was emphasizing in his life. Remember in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, that's the verse by the verses that are on top of this sheet here. Paul, if you want his mission statement, that is it. He said, we proclaim him. Who? Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete, teleos, perfected in Christ. And he Paul says, You know what? I give myself fully to this. Colossians chapter one, verse twenty nine. He says, Right after that, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. I have given myself fully, I seek the Spirit's influence and empower in my life, but I am about one thing, helping people grow in the maturity in their relationship with Christ. So you see it with your walk with God, your relationships, your character, that you're Christ centered. There's holiness that there is an evidence that you are set apart to God and that the quality and character of your actions are in harmony with God and his revealed will. Your doctrine. We want you to know why you believe and what you believe. Not just, well, somebody told me and that's what I believe. No, we want you to develop depth and understanding in the word. And so you look at the authority of scripture. You look at law and grace the law was given through Moses, isn't that what John 1.17 says? But grace and truth were realized where? Jesus Christ. Just by the way, if you're confused on that, the law, the law actually expresses God's idea of pointing to the path of fellowship with him. This is what it should look like. It's basically saying the law is like, this is the path, walk here. But you and I, because of our sinfulness and our depravity and our fallenness, you and I simply can't. We, we, we desire at times, other times we don't, but the law shows that we are sinful. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3.24, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. You have law and you have grace. The law shows our need for the grace that is found in Christ. And so another area that you find there in your doctrine that you want to grow in is that you have an understanding of essential theology that you're well-grounded, you know what you believe and why you believe it. Let me just give you some major categories that this should be reality in, like, for instance, the inspiration of Scripture. You need to know why you believe this book is God's Word, because someone might ask you, or you might even ask yourself, the nature of God, that he is triune in nature. There are three distinct persons of one essence, each possessing all the attributes and personality of deity. Uh, let me give you another, the reality of Satan and hell, the nature of man. The doctrine of sin, the greatness of salvation in Christ, the uniqueness and purpose of the church, which is the body of Christ, and the second coming of Christ and the culmination of all things in Him, this is all just essential theology. And if you're like going, Whew, great, whew, I, I you know I don't even know what half the things you just said, then you would find a good book. Let me give you a a great book that a lot of folks in this church have used to just kind of really develop their theological understanding. It's a book called The Moody's Handbook of Theology by Paul Enns. It is just a great book to give you the basics in a very easy to understand on who God is and all of the major essential doctrines of our faith. And then there's a final category that we really want you to grow and develop in, and that is your ministry, your vocation, and your profession. If you have a job it is very likely you have a calling. Whatever that might be, that is God's calling in your life. You also want to know about your spiritual gifts and service, and you want to have a heart for doing what Jesus says and Paul writes about, and that is disciple-making. This, in the end, is what we're seeking to have produced in your life by the grace of God. Every person growing in completeness in Jesus Christ. So Hendricks says, okay, once you've figured out What kind of person are you you trying to produce? What are you after? Which we've just gone forward. The second question, he says, is, well, then you have to ask yourself this question. What kind of church will produce these kind of people? What kind of church will produce these kind of people? And he says this, a church that will give them training, that will actually take them either into small groups or one-on-one and actually train them on how to grow and develop. A church that will trust them. I trust them that, like, for instance, you will actually give them others. Like, here's a gal, you lady, why don't you work with her and see what you can do for a year and try to help this person develop, or a small group. And then you have to give them time. You can't load up their schedule with so many different things they can't even think straight. They don't have time for their family, and they certainly don't have time for any other ministry. No, you have to give them time to do what is most important, what Paul is talking about here in Second Timothy 2 Timothy two. So then Hendricks says this. Once you know this, then you ask the question. This is the third question he says. Then if you know what kind of person you're after, what you're trying to produce, and you know what kind of church it is that gives them time and trust and, and training, then the third question he says is then what kind of leader produces this kind of church that has the outcome of these kind of people? What kind of leader? And you know what? He says this, and this is so true. You have to have leaders that model it, that are doing it. That it is just not something theoretical in their head, or they might espouse at different times, but you have to have leaders that are actually involved in this very same process. Webster gives a simple definition of a leader. I looked it up this morning before I came to church. And Webster says of a leader, a leader is one who leads. How about that? But isn't that right? A leader is one who leads. Who leads? If you're going in this direction, you're a leader. And so the church must have leaders that can educate people on what this looks like. They can talk about it. They can model it. And you have also leaders that create avenues in which this can happen, like a heart-to-heart relationship where guys getting together or small groups or fellowship families or with our college or our singles or in our youth ministry. You have to have avenues for growth to not only allow people to get involved, but for helping people to also grow And then third, you have to have 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 pastors, elders, and leaders that are doing this. There can't be a plan B. Friends, discipleship can't be some sort of fringe thing we hope is happening in our church. Actually, Paul says, it is at the heart of spiritual ministry. So the mentor's priority is what? To be strong in the grace of Christ. His purpose is to see people mature in the faith. That is what he's all about. Let me just give you this, his passion. His passion is know that the legacy will continue. Did you see that in verse 2? He says, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That the chain will continue. In fact, there are four generations that are presented in verse 2. There's the Apostle Paul, and then there are, there's Timothy and the witnesses. And Timothy is supposed to pass it on to what? To faithful men. Okay, there's a third. Who will what? be able to do the same thing, who will be able to teach others as well. Four generations, you know what that's called? That's called vision. He says, I want this to continue. In fact, it must. The chain must go unbroken. You teach them, you impart this to their life. This is what you're to do. There is no second uh, plan, like I think we'll try something else. We need to have 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 be the reality in your life, And it must be, friends, the reality of this church. Next week, I'd like to even talk to you just very personally, what does this look like? But friends, if we embraced what God is saying here, if this was our passion, just imagine the kind of ministry that would take place in our community, perhaps even in our world, if these verses continue to grow to become a reality in our church. You see, as you and I grow in our relationship with Christ, we have the opportunity to to help others mature in life. So don't see yourself as just a parent. No, you are a spiritual leader to your children. Not just someone that shows up for church, but someone that actually builds another up. Not with someone that's just kind of filling a gap in a ministry. They had a hole, I volunteered, I put my hand up. But no, someone who's a spiritual influencer in the life of another person. Not just a grandparent. Oh no, much greater than that, but someone who is taking advantage of, Full advantage of the great opportunity that God has given them to influence the next generation. And let me tell you, friends, by God's grace, you can do this. And this morning, I'd like to invite uh, Eddie Dart to come up here, and he's going to share with us just a little bit about what this has looked like in his life. So, Eddie.
2: Um, Grant asked me to talk a little bit about uh, discipleship and just kind of what it has meant to me, and it's been a, it's been, a, oh wow. Uh, it's been a, a really exciting part of my life as of recently, and I just kind of wanted to share a little bit with you about that. I grew up in a, in a church background that discipleship really wasn't really mentioned that much, and I didn't know much about it. And it wasn't until about five years ago that uh, I met up with an old college friend who, who goes to our church here, and uh, he had mentioned that he'd been discipled by somebody. I didn't really know what that meant. And he kind of told me what had gone on and, and how much his life had changed from it, and I was, just, I was really excited to hear about it. I said, well, that, that sounds like a really good idea. But, you know, I was busy and distracted, had a lot going on and said, That that's a really good idea, but maybe now just may not be the time for that. But then uh, about two and a half years ago I went to the men's retreat and got to hear Howard Hendricks who uh Grant was just talking about and uh and talked about a guy, just a just an incredible guy, and you you kinda one of those guys you look at like, boy, that's who I wish I would be in fifty years. I wish I could be like that. Uh and so just listening to him, he he talked about the biggest thing I got out of that conference was he said you need to set yourself up to have if you want to be in a position that you're not going to fail you need to have you have a, have a, have a Paul who you're discipling who is discipling you you know a Timothy who you can disciple and then an accountability partner and uh, that really meant a lot to me and so uh, Jason Bryant and I we were kind of in the same job kind of in the same fix we, we started kind of having certain accountability with each other. We both said, boy, we really need one of those disciplers. We need somebody to kind of teach us, you know. So we started doing it. Uh, we, we we kind of put it off for some time. But then uh, one of the verses that, that really kind of kept coming back to both of us as we were having our accountability time was that Matthew twenty-eight nineteen is that, you know, it's what God has called us to do. Therefore, go and make disciples. And we're like, you know, I don't want to be somebody in 70 years or 50 years, looks back and says, well, did I waste my life? What did I do? So that verse kind of kept coming back to us. And so we asked Shane, who was you know in, in charge of small groups, hey, what, what do you think? Can we get involved in this? And he said, sure, I'll just I'll disciple both of you. And so we, we started meeting with Shane on a pretty regular basis every two to three weeks or so. And, boy, our lives were just kind of being, becoming changed. And, and it's, basically it's off the same things that on, on this sheet. You know, Shane took us through these and started showing you areas of your life that you needed to focus in, some of the areas you weren't doing so well, and just really stretched and encouraged us. Um, but... Uh, about six months to a year after kind of meeting with Shane one on one, we felt like we were really growing and, and doing well in that area. It's just exciting. It's just so exciting to be a part of that. We're like, how can we get involved in, in doing this with other people? And uh, a couple of the verses that we uh, kind of used um, that Shane kind of took us through was this same one, uh, 2 Timothy 2 2. And looking for trustworthy people. If you're going to make an investment, if you're going to spend a bunch of time on somebody, pick out some guys or, or gals that you think. That they can go and do the same thing later on as well. And so we started looking around and doing that. Uh, and at the same time, um, uh, that First Thessalonians two eight uh, kind of kept coming to our minds is you know sharing your 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 life with people so that they can become complete in Christ. And and so we started doing that uh, with some people within our small group. And uh, I got involved with a couple of guys, and my wife was involved in their wives. And so we all kind of would meet together and then split up and talk. And and it's just been very very fruitful to see the maturity of these people grow from place to place, but also for us to be just so encouraged by seeing their growth. And, you know, you, you learn so much better when you're actually teaching as well. So we just have really in, have enjoyed it. Uh, and that's kind of the vision that I hope to, to see continuing, is continuing to, to be with some other guys and, and helping them grow. as, And I can hopefully... And uh, continuing to be discipled myself and, and growing. For those of you who know me, you know I have a lot of sharp edges that need to be smoothed out and and gone over. So I have a long way to go. But I just feel like it's it's really encouraging to have guys around you that can kind of encourage you and go in the right direction. I want to leave you with a kind of a challenge or encouragement. Is that uh, for many years I sat and you know for probably at least three three years uh, sat and listened to. Uh, people talking about discipleship. they like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea, but I don't know. Uh, there's various reasons I didn't get involved right away. I know we have a lot of people that are involved in discipleship with uh, the women's heart-to-heart ministry and uh, some men that are meeting uh, separately as well. But uh, first of all, I just didn't know you were supposed to do that. You know, for the longest time, that wasn't, it was a foreign concept to me. I just didn't know you were really supposed to be doing it. Uh, but secondly, there's a lot of fears. You get fearful of oh, you know, gosh, I'm not that smart in the Bible. What if I don't know everything I need to know? And what if I don't, what if, you know, people find out that I'm not who they think I may be? Uh, Or what if I share something that may turn them off, you know? Uh, So those are fears that I think we all face. But looking back, those are just, you know, that's that's you're living your life and and trying to become this complete disciple. Uh, But, you know, we can't just sit there forever. And uh, one of the things, uh, he talked about Tommy Nelson a little bit. Tommy Nelson has a a, a discipleship series out, and he kind of compares this to a sporting event, uh, which makes a lot of sense is that, you know, for the majority of my life, I sat in the bleachers with my Bible, which was my ticket to the game, just kind of watching other people perform out there. Uh, But yet kind of wanting to get involved in that game but not really thinking I really could. And this is really, discipleship is really just an opportunity to get you involved uh, so that you can go out and start living the game and and, and going on this game again. And it's been very fruitful for me. It's been fruitful just to see other people getting involved in it as well. So I encourage you, if it's something you've been thinking about, I'm just a regular guy. I did it, and it's awesome. And uh, uh, I hope if it's something you've been kind of thinking about but kind of on the edge, not really knowing if it's something that might be for you, I encourage you to jump in. It's really, really encouraging, and you'll be blessed by it, and you'll be able to bless others. So thank you. All right. Thank you, brother.
0: Friends, by the grace of God, this can be a reality in your life. And you could give a testimony of what God is doing in your life and the ministry that he's entrusted to you as you're entrusting to others. So as the men prepare for our time of communion together, let us just bow before our Lord in prayer. Lord, how good and gracious and awesome you are. And Father, you have given us your revealed word. We don't have to come up with clever schemes of what ministry is supposed to be about or what we're even supposed to do here on this earth. You have revealed it to us in your book. And you've also given us your Holy Spirit who strengthens us and grace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ himself that we might have empowerment to do as you've asked to glorify you on this earth as we see people come, become complete in your son. So, Lord, may this be a reality in our church. We ask this for your glory, and in Jesus' name.
1: your tender mercies, like a river of forgiveness, ever flowing without end. So I bow my heart before you, the goodness of your presence, your grace forever shining like a beacon in the